0: theater is a collaborative effort, and bringing it all together into one creative vision is the director. Hello, I'm Andrew Lindsay, Artistic Director of Primary Stages for the American Theater Wing, and I am very happy to welcome three directors who have shared their art and vision with audiences both on and off Broadway. Cheryl Keller was a Tony nominee for Next Fall, and her directing credits include projects at a variety of not-profit theaters on both coasts. Closer to home, she's worked with companies including The New Group, New York Stage and Film, and directed Off-Broadway's *Adrift in Macau for primary stages. Pam McKinnon no, is an Obie-winning director, currently working great? on Broadway's Clyde no, Warren she Park. She has she directed several She's Edward done. Albee plays, including Kline Who's Park? Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which yeah. took her back to Steppenwolf. And next season, she'll be directing Harrison, Texas by Horton Foote for primary stages. And uh, Stephen Wadsworth, uh, who, uh, who no divides, divides his time between the worlds world world of opera and theater, He has directed operas for La Scala, Vienna State Opera, Covent Garden, Seattle Opera, and the Metropolitan Opera. His most recent stage work is Masterclass, currently running in London, which he also directed last season on Broadway. He is the James S. Marcus Faculty Fellow at the Juilliard School, where he leads the advanced training program for singers and head of dramatic studies at the Metropolitan Opera. Welcome to you all. Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for being here. So today is about the director... Tell me, and um, what makes a great director?
1: I don't know, you have That's to the ask big question. Ac- <laughs> 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 ask some actors. <laughs> ask an <the> actor. <laughs>
2: I
3: mean, I you know I, I I think there is something. It it is inherently a verbal art form. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about uh, communicating with a wide array of people. Um, you know, uh, uh, producers. You know, who who maybe are are more interested in in, you know, um, staying on budget and, and, the, and the advertising and how to, you know, sort of put this show into a context. Um, it's also, of course, communicating daily with actors once you're in the rehearsal hall. It's communicating with visual artists, a whole, you know, series of, 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 of designers. Um, so, you know, I think, I think there is, inherently there is something verbal going on. Um, and then, you know, I, I also really think that it's about showing up on time, awake and yes. ready to um, give and receive. Uh, and, you know, it's, it, it's showing up prepared, but also, you know, willing to roll with whatever those great collaborators also bring to the table, you know, and, 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 and having the ability to sort of uh, commit to the best idea,
2: not necessarily your idea. Uh, it's about showing up and just doing the best job you can do every day and always being willing to punt. I think. I think that you 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 know, you, you have to do your homework, you have to have your vision and I think circumstantially I think when you're working on a commercial production you're a different kind of collaborator than you, when you're working on a workshop at New York Stage and Film or a full production at a not-for-profit like Primary Stages. I think you have to kind of like a, a mixing board, you have to kind of ride your skill sets right. depending on the circumstance you're in, always, always, always being true to the written word, always being true mm-hmm. to what is on that page. And, uh, and, and Uh, keeping your eye on not on you you have to one has to make compromises but you can't compromise the work Mm -hmm.
1: right and so you know given that at some point all give and take included you have to make a decision and you're the you're the decider the powers of persuasion are which is (laughs) another word for communication right but it's like you need to I think you need to unify your various voices, whether there's a bunch of actors who are trying to figure something out in a scene or, you know, a bunch of producers or a playwright or whatever that you're trying to get on the same page, because a, a page has to be gotten on eventually. That's-
0: you know. well, 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 how do you do that as a, as a director? I mean, how are you the unifier? And, and how, perhaps we could talk about your design teams and all of that. How do you unify a production?
1: Having a connection with a play and having some sort of vision for it. Now that is going to differ from person to person because we all are differently, you know, uh, differently sort of gifted or talented. There's th- strengths that are different in, yeah. in each of us, and um, <clears throat> and I think part of learning how to play the game is is bringing your weaknesses up to your strengths uh, right. over time and through this experience of these various situations that we've just been describing but um i think that that you know having a vision which is and the ability to articulate it in a way that is um uh, persuasive and and um and inspiring to people makes mm-hmm. pe- make people want to mm-hmm. want to play mm-hmm. right you know right you mean I think you're the ability not, to play well with others is quite important.
0: huge. You're not, <laughs> hmm? you're not yelling at people all the time. You're not yelling at people all the time. No, know. I hear that that <laughs> we are.
1: But I, but I've I never I encountered yeah, that. No, yeah. these
0: guys are the, are the <laughs> most, <laughs> most wonderful
2: people in the business. <laughs> I think that I've had the privilege, I've only worked on new works. So by the time I get to production, I've for the most part been through a couple of readings a workshop or two or three or four uh and so I, I i'm really clear as to what the play or musical requires mm-hmm. and i think that uh it, it, without yelling i don't yeah we, I, we're not yeller i mean <laughs> i'm not a yeller either really a yeller. Um, i think that um i think that no is a complete sentence sometimes too i think that to get bogged down sometimes as a director in the reasons all the time. I think you have to show a certain amount of knowledge and authority by very nicely and simply saying, no, that doesn't work. And know when you have to explain it more or know when it's just simply the confidence of knowing that it's not the right thing. Or Mm -hmm. as Pam said before, someone comes in with a better idea, best idea in the room wins because ultimately it's going to service the play to the best of Mm -hmm. our ability.
3: Right,
1: right. So there's a funny combination of egolessness and egofulness. Exactly. You know, I mean you have to to as I said a page has to be gotten on and at a certain point all of the disparate or may hopefully not so disparate, you know, things in the room have to be corralled into something coherent. Mm-hmm. And you have to be um, able to lead everyone to that point and say
0: well, I think that as a producer, that's what I look for in all of you is to sort of helm the production and get us there to that next, that next moment um, where in a calm, smooth, timely fashion, as we mentioned, time is important. So, so tell me a little bit about how um, you, you work with your design teams and, and, and getting back to this idea of collaboration. Um, what is that process like for, for you, Pam?
3: Um. I just had a, a very initial uh, design meeting a couple days ago, actually, for the show that I'm doing for you at Primary Stages, and it's it's a series of three short plays by Horton Foote, so there is, you know, in, in order to make um, a uh, uh, coherent evening that both honors the, the differences among those plays but makes it, a, you know, a, a coherent whole, um, my set designer has to really attack this as a, a puzzle to be solved. And, w- and we just chatted about the play. I mean, you know, it, it, um, she, she sent me a few uh, basic research images. Um, these are all plays that take place in interiors, um, but the research images that she just sent sort of, you know, via online was actually um, more landscape like, just like, this is what this area of Texas looks like as, you know, a reference point. Do with it as you will. But then we just talk through the plays, and it's a mixture of talking through tone. Um, Sometimes it is talking really specifics of, like, I really need a refrigerator. (laughs) You know? Like, you know, please, 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 you can strip the kitchen down, but give me a fridge. You know, so you you sort of swing back and forth between, like, the lofty idea of, like, this is a messy world. This is a dangerous world. This is a prickly world. You know, whatever sort of crazy adjectives that aren't uh, inherently visual, even. Um, but knowing that, you know, every once in a while, like, yes, we need to have a sofa, is actually a really germane thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate designers who are willing to sort of soar in the clouds and then semicolon get... You know, sort of mm-hmm. nitty gritty, um, and don't feel ashamed about either trajectory because mm. I think it, they're both really important. Like it is, it's a plastic art form. It is, you know, uh, it's 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 bodies in space. So what is this space? So, but but you know, a very you know, she didn't sketch anything. She didn't bring anything to the table. Um, and then um, last night, in you know, my my email were some interior images. Again, we're not going to go that literal necessarily, but this is what you know these worlds would be if we were making the movie. Um, right. Maybe, you know, it's, it, it, it's that kind of, like, next volley. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, grabbing these little conversations so that there isn't, like, one deadliney you know, experience of, like, now we must solve the problem. Like, we right. get to sort of dream for a while, yeah. which is really important. And then, you know, at a certain point, I'm hoping really early, we swing in the lighting designer. Yes. who is also a big visual thinker. I, I rely on lighting designers a ton. I do a lot of new plays as well. And there's, like, uh, they're, they're musical thinkers. They're visual thinkers. They're sort of, I, what they do is kind of mysterious to me. Like, you know, a set designer it's sort of like, it's walls and a sofa. I get it. <laughs> um, lighting, it's sort of like, whoa, you just trans- yeah. you just changed the play. How did you right. do that? How did you know that green was our color? Like, it's crazy town what they can do. Right. Um, and so, you know, to have people who uh, you know there there is a real musicality in what they do and there's something very ephemeral about it it's it it, it it's 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 more like 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 the like the sound of language um, and that can really you know be evocative so it's just multiple i don't know again conversations i keep on going back yeah. to that
2: and the ephemeralness yeah. if it's a word helps you live in the imagination mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I because i think that it's it, it, through conversation it's about living in this um, this uh, the, the always always it's about the imagination it's about you're putting something on a stage and, and it, it, the, the world, it, I, I think like you, it has to start off with the world is your oyster, mm-hmm. like no limitless, right. right at the very beginning. And you work with people, hopefully, that you love to work with and speak a similar language to you. And, it, and, and you know, the, the money doesn't play in at the beginning and sometimes not even the space plays in at the beginning. It's about real and imagined and the lighting and the sound and what... Uh, design elements, like I'm working on a play uh, next year where the soundscape, what we hear, to me, is the driving force of the play. So I'm starting with a sound designer. I'm not Mm -hmm. even starting, and I've never done that before. I've never Hmm. started set not first. And I'm starting first on this particular project with the sound designer. And is
0: the designer gonna be in the room?
2: Yes, the whole time the designer's gonna be in the room. And we're gonna create it together through a workshop of it. So there's, that's another way, to, and I've never done it before, so it's very exciting to me to be able to mm-hmm. do it that way. And who knows uh, how much that'll influence what the play looks like, mm-hmm. what the uh, and, and what a lighting designer can get from it, or costume designer, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I think I love to, you know, I, I do see, I do need to see initially space in a concrete way. And I don't necessarily need a designer to do that. So, I do need a designer who can uh, work with someone who is visual to s- in some way and has certain convictions about how things should look. And and for me, the designers that I've started with, Thomas Lynch, set designer, right. and uh, Dunya Ramikova, a uh, costume designer, and also Martin Paklodinas, mm-hmm. costume designer, and Peter Kazurowski. Wh- Peter and Marty and I did our first show in ni- together in 1988 mm-hmm. and have worked... That's been the primary team that I've worked with over all of this time. And we always come back to, you know, what is the next time that we can be together and make that work. And what I discovered about Tom and Dunya, who were the first really important visual people that I worked with, is that they were, I mean, I think those two people taught me more about... Seeing and about d- directing in some way, the organization of space and the, you know the, the the incredible layered reality of a, a piece of clothing. I do a lot of uh, you know period work, yeah. so and a lot of eighteenth century work over time, and working with Dunya and Marty in the business of you know, using every element of that craft to tell a story. Well, I
0: remember you, when you were doing Mirabeau talking about your process working with your costume designer yeah. and, and how you would think, first take each character, and then you would look at different fabrics.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, different, and it's become more more that way. I, I, I love to do that. I mean, there's some, it depends on the designer. Now I have, I'm working now with a with a younger designer for the first time on a show at Juilliard. and. And she's fantastic. You know, she's mm-hmm. half French, so she's totally keyed mm-hmm. into a European way of uh, sort of metabolizing period clothes, which I think is important. And um, But she's a, she drew first out of the conversations, but the next step, which I'm hungering <laughs> for, is when the bags of, of swatches come into the room. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of them. And we just right. go through them, and we're like, I like this color, I like this, uh, the way this feels, this is right for this. And class and fabric and color and character and all of these it's rather abstract things become so concrete and so thrilling in, mm-hmm. in the in the um, handling of them.
0: And you all have existing relationships with designers and um, and I think you probably find that that's it, it kind of cuts through a lot of the courting stage, perhaps, or, or getting to know each other you know in that mm. early process.
1: I think the, the whole thing about collaboration is, for me, is if I get a sense about an actor in an audition that that person knows something that I need to know, <laughs> I have a good feeling about that person. There's something that they carry in them that is fascinating and uh, at first, maybe a little hard to articulate.
0: Well, let's talk about that. Makes,
3: what makes that actor stand out for you in the room? I work with a, with a lot of actors, and I'm always amazed at what they can do. Um, you know, and after a while, uh, you know, they really help me read a play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I can't imagine. Um, you know, I'm working on Clyburn Park. I can't imagine anyone but Christina now in that role and you know and, and we continue to change things. Um, but there is something, you know, she brought that, you know, that language and that and that, that syntax and that person and, you know, she made her the strange duck in yeah. Act One of Clybourne Park. And it's sort of it's like, what else is that play if not, you know, with Chris and I sort of feel that way. But, uh, you know, a, a number of actors that I've worked with are sort mm-hmm. of right. like, wow, great, there it is. Now I can really think about this specifically. I mean, it's like what yeah. you said about grabbing the fabric, and it's sort of like, okay, all right, I, I just, like, it, it, it unlocks something in me mm-hmm. that lets me think more deeply about it, lets me feel more deeply about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of the, the epicenter of where I'm holding a play sort of goes from the brain to other places in my body once I'm dealing with you know, an actor that can really lift something off the page. Uh,
1: Yeah, that that also, uh, I remember the first play that I did opera for a while, for 10 years really before I did a play, the first play I did, I had Catherine Barowitz, Mary Lou Rosato and John Michael Higgins were in Mm. the cast. There were others in the cast that were wonderful too, but those three particularly, Mary Lou would, would, and it was a new adaptation, it was one of those Marivaux plays that I had done, so... You know, it was, there was a lot of firsts happening. <laughs> and, and they, uh, Michael uh, Higgins, has the most uh, uncanny sense of what works and what doesn't work. And it's very fast yeah. and, it's, and it's very keen. It's also, he gets me. He got me immediately. So he knew what I was going for and he would say, and Mary Lou would think for a minute and then she would say, you know, there's something wrong with this line. It just doesn't work as the next line. Mm-hmm. So, and several times I would go back to the French and see how I had translated it and realize that in some way I had compromised hmm. something with the choice that I'd made in the place that she was sniffing out, Right. you know, and Kathy yes. and Bartz was also, you, just as an actor director thing, she was looking at this person who'd come from directing opera where a lot of the, the process is out of order in terms mm-hmm. of what we're used mm-hmm. to yes, in the, yes, in the sure. Spoken Theater. And, um, and s- she was looking at me like I was, you know, insane. Yeah. And, so th- and she really um, helped me understand what, she's what actors who don't sing specifically uh, might need mm-hmm. and how they think about what the, the work, which is just something that I hadn't spent a lot of time Yes. you know, yeah. thinking yeah. about before. So those people were all people to whom I, c- c- I still feel, you know, like baseline indebted. Yeah. Like I feel th- about the way of gr- the people who were great teachers in school who were, you know, that's the way I feel about all those people. They, mm-hmm. that's Especially
2: how they give of themselves in a new play. Yes. Because the playwright's in the room with you, nine-tenths mm-hmm. of the time, I would say. Um, and so uh, particularly when you have a playwright who's uh, keen to that, can see how it fits on an actor, a really mm-hmm. great actor. And sometimes the actor doesn't even have to say, this doesn't work. You can t- I just did uh, uh, reading uh, a new Billy Porter play that a Paitha in, and when she was working too hard, we knew mm. we had to change it. Yeah. Because the stuff that, because she's so fertile, So that when she, even just sitting at a table with her reading it, we were able to tell, oh, but we have to work on this section. We have to work. She didn't even have to say anything. Mm -hmm. And then I was also, uh, it's a trickier beast with actors in musicals because the requirements are so different. And you have to, when you're casting actors in a musical, they have to fit the vocal requirements first because Mm -hmm. the music is the part of a musical That 9 times out of 10 doesn't change, even in a new piece, because if you change the key to a song, it resonates differently. And certain songs just have to Mm -hmm. be in certain keys or in a certain vocal type or, you are you know, especially in opera, um, you you know, you're building this ensemble of voices. And uh, I went to see a production of Pippin that the role of Pippin wasn't being sung by a tenor, it was being sung by a baritone. Mm -hmm. And it surprised me how much it changed the whole play for me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, and not because I was used to it as a tenor, just because it didn't speak it didn't sing. It didn't resonate in the same way. So then, so you do your first layer of casting in a musical when they fit the vocal requirements, and then you try to get like what you guys are talking about, about the pixie dust with the actors when they come into the room, whether they can teach us something or bring something, or just be humble, wonderful, brilliant collaborators. Uh, so it's it's a whole who different process. Who are somehow,
1: you know, who look the part or who have something, right. quality about <laughs> right, them. Right, right, things. right, right. So right that you can't ignore that, yes. even if they're not exactly changing the shape of the room, or if you, there's slightly less pixie dust you know, right, than right. there was for you know the, the other lead or whatever. You know, I mean, <laughs> yes. I think that yes. there <laughs> are lots of lots of uh, of uh, considerations there. But
0: well, let's talk a little bit about working with um, the playwrights and I mean, all of you, even Masterclass. Terrence was in the room, I'm sure, and and what is that process like for you? as a director.
1: Well, again, I, it's just so different. I mean, the the living playwrights that I've worked with are three. Terrence McNally, on, no, but not on a new play. Right. Beth Henley, and Anna Devere Smith. So, I mean, <laughs> I just say the names, and you're like, well, they're all weir- seriously <laughs> different. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the different. <laughs> and the process of working with them is also very different. I, I, I find it, it it's pretty bracing to have a a playwright in the room mm-hmm. um, because there's, there's another uh, eagle eye there mm-hmm. and to which you have to defer. I remember at one point I was, I was um, talking to one of these casts and saying, you know, I had gotten notes from the playwright, mm-hmm. which I was communicating to the cast. And I said, you know, it's not always just a case of being able to interpret the play the way it feels right to us.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We have to interpret the play the way the playwright feels it, right. And we also have to make it enough hours that we feel liberated and free to do what we need to do. But you know the, the frustrating at late when you're in previews and you get a, a bunch of directives um, which feel like they go a little bit against mm-hmm. the decisions you've made and the directions you've gone it, but there's a kind of flexibility that you have to have there in order to serve the playwright's vision of the <laughs> play. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to pick up a play that's 300 years old and say, you know, really? <laughs> I think we can cut this long. You know? um, or whatever, you know, or to reshape it in whatever way to sort of conceptualize as part of the work. But that's really not, the case. Um, of living it's not the order, uh, of first order of business. Well, it's really the, the
0: collaborative, it's the true collaboration because you have the other director in the room.
2: I think it depends on the playwright, too. Mm-hmm. Like, on uh, Next Fall, Jeffrey Knopfs is an actor as well. He started his whole life as an actor, so it wasn't the most difficult process in the world to talk him into, give him give them a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, they might you might hear it differently, but give me two or three days, uh, let them have a chance, and then we'll change it if mm-hmm. we need to. And I also think it depends on when you come to the play, um, you know, because I know you've worked with, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Albee on also old, older mm-hmm. plays, as but well as, re, yeah. as well as new, so you probably, uh, but like when the play that we did together, the Chris Durang play, I got as a nine page play. So I was in on the ground floor of that thing. So I mm-hmm. had almost as much voice as Chris and Peter, the composer, Peter Melnick, as they did, because mm-hmm. I was in it in such, I mean, yeah. nine pages is what I got first. And Chris <laughs> said, what do you think? Right, <laughs> and I right said, on. you're Chris Durang, let's do it. Yeah. Um, but Mm-hmm. So, so uh, different from you coming in to um, an older play by Edward or a newer play by Edward and also the personality of the writer. I mean, you know, we know uh, the play that the Chris Durang play that Andrew and I worked on together. We had to get Durang out of the room. Mm-hmm. Well, he was, I was stifling the that. actors mm-hmm. and we, yeah. and I went into Andrew's office and I said, okay, we need to do this together. Mm-hmm. And that's also, I think, part of the collaboration, knowing what you can do by yourself or where you need the artistic director to help you. And you know what? He did. He left the room for a while bit. Well, a little I think it's bit.
0: important. I always talk to young playwrights yeah. about, you know, there is a moment when, especially if, even if it's your world premiere and this is the first production ever, <laughs> you've got to leave that room. Yeah. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
0: And why is that?
3: I mean, I think inherently, you uh, uh, director as well as actors, it's sort of like we want to please. Like, there is something, mm. you know, sort of like, oh, I, I, I took this job because I believe in this story. I believe in, in, in the pieces that make the story. I'm, you know, this is fantastic. I'm starting to feel like I own it, but I want to, I know that this came, this sprang from your head. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and even if it was, you know, a commission, a writer, like, no, like, especially playwriting, like, like, like no play actually has to exist. Mm-hmm. you know period but you know these these people they they you know go to a cafe or they sit in their living room or they scribble on the subway and all of a sudden then they hand it over so there is sort of a i don't know there 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 is something at once compelling as well as you recognize that either sort of i'm i'm honored i'm honored to have these pages and i think sometimes actors there is a point where they know that while they they will get there they're not there and, there, and there, there's a mortification factor of, like, huh. I'm so sorry, right. um, you know? And and and, mm-hmm. and and sometimes you you sort of learn in drips and drabs, oh, this character is loosely based on your mother. How can I possibly live up to that? And how dare you make me try to live up to that, <laughs> um, you know, because I am my own person, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pouring myself into this. Um, so, yeah, so you have to let me do it. And with you you sitting there and, you know, on occasion frowning, I'm going to assume it's frowning about me, um, you know? And, and so, it, it, you know, these, these are tiny rooms. These are, you know, delicate moments, um, yeah. you know, even like, like that sort of, you know, marching through the second week, let's say, of a three or four week, five week rehearsal process um, when actors are are, are you know, really committing lines to memory and knowing that oh, I don't quite have this one down, and you, of course, as the writer, know it verbatim. Yeah. Um, it just, it just, you know, it's just undue pressure um, when actually we need sort of uh, we need un, uh, unfettered and sort of unconscious time mm-hmm. to make some mistakes mm-hmm. so we get there. Um, yeah,
1: that's the tricky thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. it's uh, service is the is the big word in 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 my world about uh, what I'm, what my role is, you know, and wh- if it's service to the actor, to the audience, to the play, mm-hmm. um, and then to this a specific vision of the play, which I am not in control of, which I might otherwise be if the, if the playwright weren't there or weren't alive. Mm-hmm. Um, so the I think that's a fine line between interpretation and the freedom to interpret. I mean, you get a bunch of actors who are all, looking for a way to imagine the early life of their character or the what happened yesterday. And that doesn't take, that's an f- exciting conversation. It's one of the most fun things. Yeah. You're like, oh, I think you went to the ball and I think you screwed that girl. And, and then <laughs> I think that happened. And then I think she called you up. And then and he's like, no, she didn't call me up. You know, so that, just the invention of the life of a character, it can go past this, uh, this author's way of thinking of that so easily, mm-hmm. so quickly. And sometimes you can prevail um, and say, you know, this isn't a choice which is reductive about the material. Mm-hmm. This is actually a choice which might open up a further door in it. And of course, that's the dilemma of the playwright in the room. He's having a much harder time than we are usually, sure. or she, you know, sitting there going, oh, God, you know, why did I ever do this? <laughs> this is the most important thing I've ever done. Or I feel such passionate conviction about it, and I have it in my ear so specifically. Sometimes it's very, very difficult for them to shift. And sometimes it's not appropriate for them to shift. So it's up right. to us as the, the servers to uh, try to serve all masters. And it just makes for one more master there. So,
0: you ha- so let's say you have this, this, everybody in the room, the actors are telling you there's this moment in the play that needs to be changed. It's not working for me. How do you have that conversation with your playwright?
2: I think it depends on the playwright. I I think that I, I have been spoiled by playwrights who came up around the same time as me. And those years of those Naked Angels years and the lab years and all that about um, being honest, these uh, I've worked with a lot of playwrights with a lot, thick skins. Although I remember uh, Pam and I, 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 Uh, one night a playwright was really hard on me and Pam and I were sitting on a panel together and she saw that I was a little off and she said, do you remember this? And she said, what happened? And I said, oh, he's so upset with me and she kind of went, so? Okay, that happened. I I have a thinner skin sometimes. I have to work on having a thicker skin. I think it's about talking the playwright into uh, illuminating and illustrating to him or her that their, their story will be told in a better way if they make this change. It's not about, this is the way I want to change your play, this is the story that I want to tell, because in service to the playwright, we're telling their story. So I think it's really important as a director, particularly of new works, to understand dramaturgy, to understand storytelling, and to explain to a writer, I I feel like I've hit 95% when I can explain to them That their story, the story they want to tell, the vision that they have for the play, will be better served if they change it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that this moment is undercutting this part of the story. That's a good word, undercut. You undercut what you're trying to say <laughs> if you say it this way. And I think when playwrights, particularly ones that are collaborative and easier to work with, I mean, sometimes playwrights are just hard to work with, just like sometimes directors are hard to work with, just like sometimes designers are hard to work with. But I think directors who are open to change Get prickly when you try to change the st- Why don't we have this character tell the story instead of this character? Mm-hmm. That, that you're not going to get listened to, and that is where we have to have that reverence mm-hmm. to the story that they want to tell. Um,
1: and that's also where you want to have been working on it from the start, Yes, you know, yes. and coming in when there's nine pages, um, so that <laughs> a lot of that work can be done in the, as it's built. Um, when I work on new operas, uh, really exclusively, I mm-hmm. work with people who now, I mean, the last four or five times, who have not started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yes. in some sense, I'm part of the team, and it's a dramaturg-director relationship, and I'm there to be a script doctor and a troubleshooter and a red alert <laughs> whistler, <laughs> you know, so I say this this, I don't think this is the right gesture dramaturgically for this content, you know? We have to get form and content better in sync and, you know, so, but it's as we're making it. Now, it's not necessarily easier, you know? Um, and and it's it's a hell of a way to get to know someone. Certainly <laughs> you know, trial yeah. by fire, man. We're just, uh, <laughs> I'm just starting a new project, uh, an adaptation of the novel, Bel Canto oh. by Anne Patchett, <gasps> yeah. which is, um, this young Peruvian composer, Jimmy Lopez, and Nilo Cruz Mm. writing the libretto,
4: Um,
1: Latin Americans working on this subject. And so we've just started to have our intense conversations about what, you know, a basic shape of things. And, you know, there's three people with really intense responses, and Nilo has to come up with a treatment. So what he has to do, what we sort of established in our two-hour breakfast the other day was, you know, I have to just, like, corral this material into a kind of a, a shape that I can Im- imagine. And then, you know, if there's XX and X layering or reordering, that happens then. I mean, we were talking, I would say, well, no, I it's pretty important that maybe we, you know, when is the act break going to happen? All this kind of thing, right, you know, just right. we got right in there. And it was uh, a spirited conversation,
2: yeah. you <laughs> know,
1: and great. I mean, yeah. wonderful. And, uh, but, but there's a lot of, you know, it all comes from, you know, it's really not about three difficult people normally. It's about three passionate exactly. convictions um, mm-hmm. or two or however many sort of uh, trying to figure each other out and, and really not wanting to let go of things that feel um, beautiful.
0: Yeah. You
3: know? Well, and, and, and very quickly, there is something outside. Of everyone, like there is, there is the production. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, and I think, I think if you can embrace that, because I mean, right. you know, it sort of steps onto what you were saying about there's an external story that is now out there. So this is not a personal attack exactly. when I ask for something or when you ask something of me. It's like, oh, right, there's there's something that we have created, and now we are in service of that. There mm-hmm. was one um, I was working with Edward on um, his, I guess, his reimagining of the, ju- of, 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 of the zoo story, where mm-hmm. the zoo story, you know, at, at that point, a more than 50-year-old play, was now the second act of a two-act evening, and we were having a really hard time. It's just really hard. It's really hard material, and the stakes are high and all that good stuff. And, and, and the rehearsal hall with my two actors, wonderful actors, and eventually we, 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 we cracked into something fantastic, Dallas Roberts and Bill Pullman and I, but that triangle wasn't working. There was, like, we sort of, it was a early preview kind of standstill of this moment just wasn't mm, yeah. falling in. And Edward um, would stop by rehearsals about once a week. In that process, and you know, be very generous and a little scary, and do his Edward thing. <laughs> and, um, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I waved the little flag like a few days earlier, and I said, like, it's, it's really hard. It's right. really hard. Could you come on Wednesday and not Friday? Mm, I'll see if I can do that. Yes, and he was there, <laughs> and and it was fantastic. And the power of the writer he just sort of, you know, made our triangle collaboration a square yes, yeah. with a particular kind of gravitas and it's his fucking play, excuse me. <laughs> um but but he did this amazing thing. He listened to sort of our grievances and 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 our problems yeah. and and then um he called over the assistant director who had a copy of the script and he opened up to a certain section and um because He knew we were at loggerheads and some of it was fear-based, it was, had nothing to do with really the work. And he looked at a page and he took out a pen and he said, "You actually don't need this." And he like crossed out two and a half pages of the zoo story and <laughs> said, "Now go back and rehearse this." Wow Like he, he, sort, of, he sort of said, "Oh, you are there, there's a wall for whatever reason." And he said, "I have the power. Like, I don't want to stay in rehearsal. I don't want to deal with your your grievances and this is difficult, right, difficult, right. difficult. I know it's difficult, but I'm now going to change the text, force the parameters that you're working on to shift, and now you have to go rehearse it differently. Right. Bye, I'll see yeah. you on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Hope it gets better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and maybe I also, maybe he also you know, cut out uh, the heart of the problem, too. Right, you know, right, yeah. absolutely. No, no, which is
2: the value both, of not both, having both, him in the room for Both sort while, of, he, he cut out, like, like,
3: like, maybe content-wise, some of our difficulty. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but in some respects, it was more the gesture of, like, just get to work. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, just just do some work. And this is, as a writer, this is my power. Like, my biggest power is to shift the text. Mm-hmm. So I will shift it for you. And now I'm forcing you to rehearse this differently. Yeah. Bye. It was amazing. It was kind of amazing, you know, to do... And that's, you know, the power of a living playwright. This right, is a right. This is a play, you know, a canonical American play, but he's still around and he can take that red pen out whenever he wants to. Yeah.
0: So how how did it end up? Was great. It better for it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. it's
3: great. And it really sort of taught us
2: the lesson of oh right, we're supposed to be rehearsing and we're supposed to be <laughs> right. you know, digging into this. Right. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And reminds us that sometimes we have to shake it up yeah. a little bit too. When a, you know, when when you see the power, I think as you're saying, Pam, when you see the power of that I'll call it the red pen, but it's usually a pencil in rehearsal, but when you see that power of even just taking out a single word mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's negligible. A single mm. word is always negligible, always. But when a playwright does that and it shakes it up, yeah. it's like, oh, wow, I, as a director, you also have the power to do that. That's what the playground of collaboration and rehearsal is. And, and, uh, and again, living in our imaginations mm-hmm. in a way where we can say, okay, let's do it this way, let's right. do it that way, let's do it this right. way, because a playwright knows that. A, yeah, a, and a very good playwright, yeah. needless to say. Yeah. Um,
3: and we were in a rut. And yeah. he said, well, there's no need to be in a rut. Just no. get out of the rut. Right, I right. don't know if this is the solution, but you're not going to be in that rut anymore.
1: Yeah. Okay. It was interesting and uh, with master class which Terrence had done 15 years before we came and did this second right. you know Broadway production. Um we were in Washington and he said a couple of times, "Oh, I'm thinking, you know, uh, I listened to the play and I think that oh god, some of it maybe should change." And I don't know, what I'm thinking of. I said, "Don't change a word. It's it's mm-hmm really brilliant. And even if it has some jagged edges that you're feeling or seeing, you know, I feel like this is a classic text. This is a great text. It's it's exquisitely pulled together. It's just amazing from the Mm -hmm. play W-R-I-G-H-T-ing point of view. It's really incredible. And um, so I said, don't, 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 don't. So he said, no, all right, I won't. And we kept working on it. I said, plus, you know, let us, Let's, let's see whether, do you, don't even you know, tell me what the problems are. Just, you know, and then in notes he would say, this is awkward or that's awkward or you know, try to do this or try to do that and mm-hmm. that would be fine. But then in London, third time around, having previously done it in Washington, then Broadway, then, um, he said uh, fairly early, after an early preview, he said, I want to cut three lines. Mm. And he, there were three lines that he put his finger on exact three places that, in one sense, in one instance, because I'd staged it in a certain way, that mm. he sort of did me a favor and cut a line, although I hadn't been complaining about it. He put, he said, "This is just a, too long." Let's do it. Right. Then, in another instance, it was really a case of of how we had. Uh, how he had worked out one of the characters, which was quite different from the way he had experienced that the first time around. Right. And he liked that direction, and so he cut one of her lines. And then the third line that got cut was about, it was about a singer who was particularly beloved in London. And mm. he said, I think I've I think I've think cracked that joke <laughs> right. by that time, and I can use that. Right. So very neat, keen, three little things. Right. Well, now here's another department of directing. So that's great. And I kind of went, oh, brilliant. This is so good. Because in those street little places, it will just pick up. Yeah. You know, you can cut something that actually takes um, three sec- eight seconds to say, but, you know, the brain fart's necessary to kind of engineer it into place. When you've cut the line, you somehow are 15 seconds shorter in the scene, or 30 seconds, because everything mm-hmm. moves so much more fluidly without it. So that was all great, and then then I sat down with the women in the scene, and um, I sort of said, "Are we going to cut this line?"
2: Drickable. <laughs> Scary.
1: And with uh, well, but, but it's also the way they work. I mean, Tyne Daly, who plays Kallus in this production, she the way she she threads everything together so so I mean, over time. I mean, she right. figures out, you know, it's just astonishing. So. I realized that to, to remove a couple of these lines, they all affected mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. To, to take that away meant that there was a premise bound to be a couple of things in that line that she was using to sort mm-hmm. of, you know, make sense of what came later and all the things. So, she had to do, you know, minor surgery three times, and I had to do that with her and sort of say, stay, stay still, stay Rare. still, you know. <laughs> you're so what if we stuck <laughs> this needle into your skin here and pulled it tight? You know, it's it really is a very visceral mm-hmm. yeah. uh, thing for them, and it and it was, you know. And of course, every actor thinks it's because they can't deliver the line,
0: yeah. right?
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So I'm literally. not funny. Yeah. Well, right. actually, you're very funny. It's really not about that. Well, right. You know. That's I kind mean, of the
2: beauty of a collaboration <laughs> going on for a long time. Like next fall, by the time we made it to Broadway, we were working on it for a year. So, by that time, the actors had lost that. They didn't think yeah. that. Like Off-Broadway, every time something changed, it, they thought it was because of them. Yeah. Now, we're on Broadway because of the production that we all did together, and we, like you, are being supported. We were supported in not casting the producers, supported us in taking the original off-Broadway cast and moving it to Broadway. So mm-hmm. by the time we got to Broadway, that was one thing I had to take off my, I, I was able to take off my list. Mm-hmm. Their feelings didn't get hurt when things were changed. They knew it was I don't know part, that their feelings hurt, uh, or they hurt didn't think them. They worry it was just about, that. Yeah, worry about, that. about yeah. it, whatever the yeah. reason, We were able to, thing, we, when yeah. you're working, talk about collaboration, I think that time and the time that you work together and the length of time that you work together or yeah. the years that you work together with certain, you know, you mentioned Tom Lynch. I've done uh, so many shows with him. And mm-hmm. we have a shorthand and, and there isn't that uh, some of the scariness or or the, I, oh, the, is this me because of what I'm doing goes away mm-hmm. after time and years yeah. and, um, uh, uh, you know, kind of a tapestry kind of collaboration that mm-hmm. you have.
4: Mm-hmm. What's well, also beautiful
1: about the, the, the Terrence story is that you know, uh, Tyne and Diane Pilkington, this uh, British woman who joined the cast in London. Uh, Diane had only had a little time. Tine had worked on the play for two years. Yeah. But th- it, it was because they loved what they were doing. And they loved, they had come, they'd figured out how to love those lines. Yes. Mm. Mm. So losing them was, is, it's just complex. It's like, you know, everybody got down to business and in a couple of days, we had it sorted, you know, but we had right. to work on it and work on it and just run it a few times and get mm-hmm. comfortable, and then do it again the next day and just mm-hmm. you know so but that's a very interesting part of what we what we end up doing you know on every side of a little cut there's right you there, know, there's there's, a there's action a, you know, and a reaction there are different interactions yeah. that yeah. that require your um, you know patience and uh Diplomacy,
0: And how much do you guys listen to the audiences and how does that affect you, especially in the first, I would say, for me, it's always the first two previews is is your biggest moment. But what what do you, what happens if you don't get what you're expecting to hear?
2: Um, You have to, you do pay attention to the audience, but you have to know your play and what you want to pay attention to them for. And I think that yep. varies from play to play. You know that if you have, let's say, Nathan Lane on a stage, he might take a week to land all those jokes. So you don't have to pay attention to the audience if they're not laughing at the odd right, couple. Right. One, the You know, I'm saying shows I haven't done, you know, we the first, second, Nathan or Lane, third. Yeah, he'll figure out he'll yeah. really he'll figure fast, out. To, so exactly. He'll use the previews for his own end. Or, you know, or, or uh, you know, but the play that we did together, we really used your audiences to hone the humor in Mm -hmm. that play, because Mm -hmm. that was what the task was. Um, For other plays, I, I always pay attention to when they get restless. That's yeah. me. That's a big thing for me, yeah. is when I feel coughing. a lot of moving and coughing and things like that, it I drops say, okay. Program. And drop down program. The sound the program. of
1: 75 <laughs> people moving to the other buttock. Yes. It, those are the things <laughs> that, that I pick. Understandable And that be recorded, Steve. <laughs> That's the
2: stuff I pay attention yeah. to. Um, and then on Broadway, it's a different beast because... Um, uh, you also, you have to pay attention to the business side of it. Really, like, I hate to say it, but in a Broadway audience, you have to know how many $26.50, $26.50 butts are in the seats because they'll go to the bathroom no matter how good it is. <laughs> you know, I, or or again, a subscription-based, whether it's an older audience or a younger mm-hmm. audience. So I think it's just so circumstantial to the yeah. piece and to the audience and to how much time you have, and to when the critics are coming. I think it's all because I think that is part of our job. Uh, to, in order to, to, you know, in order for for us to have a healthy run, it's about the critics. It's so it's it, so I think it's all of that.
1: In commercial, you know, I mean, it. it really is not for profit, yes. which is one of the great glories of the regional theater system in America. Is it's, right. You know,
0: Pam, you mentioned that audiences were different in. Los Angeles, when you did Clybourne, and 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 how the play changed with that.
3: Well, some me. of it, I, I mean, I mean, I don't know if it was city specific, but it was certainly venue specific. I mean, mm-hmm. I first did Clybourne Park at Playwrights Horizon, so a 199-seat house, versus the Mark Taper Forum in Los Angeles, so a 720-seat house.
1: In quite a different configuration. In a hugely and different its, right. With uh, uh, acoustical problems, and also depending on how you dress that stage distance mm-hmm. problems, mm-hmm. you know, for some of the audience. it's.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, the, I mean the Mark Taper Forum. It's called a forum for a specific reason. It's a semicircle of a stage, mm-hmm. and so you know, if you have someone downstage p- center, which could feel like a very strong <laughs> place to deliver something at Playwrights Horizons, which is a small proscenium or end space. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that means actually probably half the audience at the taper is behind that person, yeah, so yeah. not so strong anymore. Yeah. So, you know, so, so it required definitely a lot of restaging, and, yeah. and, I, and I, I agree with you. And that, that can re- be
1: heartbreaking for actors, too, yes. especially if they've done it before. Yes. Your wife, we did a touring production, and we ended yeah. up at the Long Wharf after playing two mm. beautiful proscenium, this mm-hmm. proscenium show. I had happened to have done it in a thrust before, but when we got to Long Wharf, and we had to reblock, you know, 70%
4: yeah.
1: of the actual... Those actors were in tears most of the time.
3: Because there's I mean, it, it's a biological act.
1: Yeah,
2: right. Like there
3: is something. Yeah. I used to, I used to have my wife at this distance. Why is she yeah. all the way over there? Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge house. I need my actors to actually play some distance. You know, it's very interesting. But but what I did find in a positive way, Bruce Norris, who wrote Clybourne Park, he wrote a big house play, I believe. So that for instance, there, there there are sometimes you know three laughs in a row at Playwrights Horizons. We would get the first one. Right. And then sort of like an understanding and an understanding after the second and the third. A big house is actually, they're, 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 they're more anonymous and they're also there for that kind of ha-ha-ha ride. Right. And right. we would get every single laugh. And yeah. it was just, it's, it
2: was a, re- a revelation. Yeah,
1: Next fall, problem, we, oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, we had the opposite. Mm-hmm. When we moved from playwrights to right. the Helen Hayes, Jeffrey did a lot in threes. He did mm-hmm. a lot of three laugh things. And we found from going from a 96-seat theater to a 650-seat theater that we could only get two jokes to land mm-hmm. because the laughter landed lasted longer. It's right. coming 650, from further away. It's yeah. coming from further away. So yeah. we took a lot of three-joke uh, sections and turn them into two joke sections wow. during previews. That's we use yeah. previews a right. lot yes. for that, and uh, and also the blocking thing is really it, we, yeah. you have to depending on your space and depending on the size and uh, the blocking affected a lot of humor as sure. well how to land the humor from oh. ninety six to 66. in the in
1: the vaudeville theater in London where Masterclass yes. is at the moment. It's sort of as if you take a shoebox and you stand it on its end, mm. right. very narrow. Right. And it's very high. Right. You have two balconies. So the first week of previews, I sat in a box so that I could clock what that what, what was going on in, this, in the orchestra section, the stalls, <laughs> and what was in the balconies. So I could hear. Yeah. And the first several performances, I realized that the people upstairs weren't laughing.
0: Right. They had a different show.
1: So then I went up and sat there, and I realized that they actually didn't laugh because they were afraid they might miss something because they couldn't quite hear it Mm -hmm. well enough. Mm
0: -hmm. Fascinating. Well, we're we're, we're coming to our final moment, so I I would love to hear from each of you for closing where you go for inspiration as directors.
1: What interests me are the the complicated in-between bits of personal interaction and how people behave and why. Mm -hmm. That is what a What it is about?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, yeah, taking, trying to be open, taking stuff Mm -hmm. in. Um, uh, I love to travel when I can. I mean, that's an inspiration. I read a lot of fiction when I can. Mm -hmm. Um, I also try to see stuff. I mean, I think I think my 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 tastes are quite catholic. Um, and I and I can definitely, I love going, you know, to the opera. I love going to, you know, I, I, I sit on the board of a, a small downtown company, Clubbed Thumb, you know, embrace their work, um, you know, uh, see stuff on Broadway. I mean, you know, I have, uh, other people's work. I love, you know, going to the Whitney.
2: I mean,
0: yeah. yeah. So for our final...
2: I would say, you know, the first place I always go is to my family and how they how we navigate each other is very uh, informative and inspiring to me. And I'm with you guys. I, 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 because I have also the privilege of two children um, in college or in high school or in grade school. I go, uh, what inspires me is what makes people do what we do right at the beginning. So to watch these college students up there (laughs) right now and uh, fiction
0: picture Great. books. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, these programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of City University of New York in partnership with our friends at SUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Andrew Lindsay, and thank you for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. Thank you.
1: Thank
4: you. Yeah. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theater Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website. AmericanTheaterWing.org. Thanks for your interest in The Wing, and thanks for watching.